Welcome to the 2020 experience, our first ever two-parter. I'm Charlie. I'm Corey. And, and I'm Sam. Yes, oh, this week, <laughs> this week we have a guest with us, our friend Sam. And uh, yeah, for our first ever two-part episode, very exciting stuff. Yes, our 25th episode. Here we go, folks. Uh, glad to have Sammy Boy with us today. Thank you for coming through. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Oh, man. This is by far one of my favorite albums of all time. Hey! Seriously, so I'm excited to, to be talking about it today. Yes, it's uh, the 2020 Experience by Justin Timberlake, if you didn't get that from the introduction. But <laughs> <laughs> it is a two-part album, technically. Today we'll be discussing part one, of course, and... Uh, We'll be going back now almost 10 years, which is crazy to think about that this was almost 10 years ago now, because feels like yesterday still, to me at least. It does. Absolutely. This brings a lot of nostalgia for me as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You guys have no idea. But yeah, speaking of it being yesterday, I had to ask Jess. I was like, can you believe it was it was 2013 when we picked up this this album? She was like, what? And there's way more to that story, but we were we were laughing how it felt like just yesterday. Yeah, it really does. And uh, to go back to 2013, interesting thing, Justin Timberlake, of course, was one of the biggest stars in music throughout the 2000s as both a member of NSYNC and as a solo artist. Later on, he started branching off into movies, but by 2013, it had been seven years since Justin Timberlake had released a full-length album. Wow, really? Yes. There just been some guest appearances on songs that we heard, stuff like Carry Out, Love Sex Magic, Dead and Gone. But he was more so focused on movies, it seemed, that it didn't seem like Justin Timberlake would come back into the studio for a while. It wasn't looking that way. It was a pretty big surprise to hear that he was coming back with a new full-length album at this time. I remember I was pretty shocked. It was like, oh, he's coming back? Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. So what was the one before this? Future Love? Yes, I mean, Future yeah. Sex Love Sound. Love Sound. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then it was seven years. That's That's insanity. What was it about 2013 that was making all this music pop out? You, you touched on that last week and I was like, wow, really? We're, we're, we're sitting in this year and there is some music coming out. Yes, almost every album that we've covered for this month has been from the same year, I realized. That's wild. I could have made it a four for four if I did Art Pop by Gaga, but I decided not to for a variety of reasons, but... This was a big year, though. I remember this all so fondly. There were a lot of people releasing highly anticipated follow-ups to uh, successful albums. Gaga, Perry, Miley Cyrus had bangers this year. My favorite lady, Cher, came back this year after an even longer hiatus than JT from the studio. So uh, everything was happening this year, but JT overshadowed it all, admittedly, in the minds of many because... Uh, out of all the albums this year, this was the top selling album of the year because people were so excited for Justin Timberlake to be back on the music scene. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember looking forward to this album dropping that straight up one of those albums. And it had been a while. You know, we talk about that every once in a while, how I used to be like a day one Sam Goody's waiting in line head. But this was one that it had been a while since I was like, oh, I'm going to go get this album. Yeah, it was like that for a lot of people because 
not as many people were actually buying the albums at this point in time. But yeah, yeah I, I didn't even think about that. You know, this was a time where we were already in a digital or very close to being fully set in that digital age. And I bought this on CD. That's crazy to think. Yeah. <laughs> By 2013, unless you're, it was pretty hard to sell a CD if your name wasn't Adele or Taylor. Heard. That's kind of the point we were at. But yet he outsold both of them this year. So that's pretty incredible, I think. So for me personally, um, when Future Sex was around, I didn't really pay much attention to Justin Timberlake at that time. I just don't really remember hearing the songs a whole lot. I was in elementary school. It probably wasn't quite made for me. I think it was made for a slightly older group of kids than the elementary schoolers. I don't even really remember my peers listening to it a lot. A lot of them were still on Disney Channel and they liked their Hannah Montana and Jonas Brothers <laughs> at this point in time. So it just wasn't quite in the wheelhouse yet. But by the time of 2013, I was definitely following popular music of the day a lot. And so I felt like, wow, this is pretty cool to have him back. And I also, we've discussed on the podcast before, I'm a huge Britney Spears fan. And there are some connections between these two people, him and her and Justin. So just because of that, I was a bit curious. I was like, I wonder what he'll do. Because I heard some of the songs since and liked them. I was like, What's he going to do? I'm curious. Mm. He did it. <laughs> oh, this album, man, this album, when it popped, I was waiting to grab it. But Jess and I were on a trip down in Florida and I had a ring in my pocket and I was getting ready to pop the question. And I, I, we went, I grabbed this at Target with some cheap sunglasses we had a rental car. I asked her and she can't remember, but in my brain, the top was down and we murdered the shit out of this album. We didn't stop listening to this album the whole entire weekend. And it was a perfect album as far as the love sense of this album. But it wasn't planned like that. I was just excited to hear the Timberlake joint. So was she. And we popped in and, and it was never looking back. This one stays in my uh, constant playlist. Almost every track on this album stays in my constant playlist. Yeah, I'm glad you actually said that, Corey, because there's a certain song on this album that is, when we get to it, I'll, I'll bring it back up. But it reminds me of your wedding. Oh, yeah. And, and it is. I do think that this album is a perfect playlist from start to finish for a wedding. Yeah, that's, so, that's a good thought, too. I mean, everything from the beginning, the horns, and then you have the dance breakdowns and you have the love songs. And I, I related it to a wedding. And I think that Justin may have kind of wrote it in reminiscence of his wedding. He definitely did because this album, uh, I actually believe it was delayed a bit because of his wedding. I believe so. Timbaland also said it was delayed because of the Affleck movie as well. Like this would have dropped earlier. If I forget the name of, I think it's like runner runner or something like that. But uh, if, if that movie wouldn't have happened, it would have dropped earlier. That was a quote from Timbaland on this one. I believe that. And that's something interesting to think of because I know one of the songs uh, dates back to the sessions for actually Timbaland's Shock Value 2. Heard. Wow. So, which is pretty crazy. And I'll say it's a better song than Carry Out, which was JT's contribution to that album, which <laughs> pretty fun, goofy song, but not the artistry of what we got here. And uh, Yes, of course he reunited with Timbaland. That was a really smart move because they were 
a powerhouse duo of that mid to late 2000s pop music scene with Future Sex. They really, their sound became omnipresent. Timbaland put out Shock Value One. He produced for Nelly Furtado. I mean, even the Queen of Pop Madonna asked these two boys to produce her Hard Candy album in 2008, a good bit of it. So uh, this was really a big thing, but things had changed and actually in part because of them. I think the whole EDM sound was much more prevalent by 2013 and future sex definitely played a part in bringing that sound mainstream. But mm. with this album, they decided to step it back and go old school to the more soul sounds of the 60s, 70s, and even 80s. I know that really appealed to me upon hearing the first single off the album, which we're not going to discuss yet, but I thought I love that this is so uh, retro and so modern still, and that was definitely, again, in keeping like with what we talked about last week with Daft Punk. Yeah. Because this was hitting at the same time. Yeah. The word neo-soul has been used for this, and I guess, but I think it's more, like you said, I, I think of it more as a throwback, as, as an homage uh, to those sounds and, and running with them rather than a neo soul type of feel on this one. I think that there's a lot of classical R&B as well. And I, oh, he yeah. actually samples a lot of classical R&B jams on this. So That he does. Yeah, I've never thought of this as neo soul. I'm not an expert on that genre, but from what I know of it, that is not, I think, the main thing he was going for. Honestly, I feel like he was inspired more by like Barry White than Maxwell. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I, for me too, and I'll probably say this a million times, but even on first listen, I, you know, like I got turned to to Jess and I was like, this sounds so, um, Justin always has a bit of Michael Jackson in him, but this album per se really harkens back for me to like off the wall or uh, really just a lot of the, the Michael Jackson production value, uh, I find is so strong on this one as well. Most definitely. A couple songs in particular, I really strongly agree with that point. But I mean, we'll get to that. And uh, yeah, I think we've all made it pretty clear we were around for this album cycle. It was an exciting time for us. It's a lot of nostalgia for each of us. And uh, I mean, yeah, obviously a highly successful album, enough so that there was a part two that was always going to be planned, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Yeah, this was a big deal for me. And it actually, I started, I got my first record player not long after this album came out. And this was one of the earliest vinyls that I got. I remember that. Yeah. And I one time did have my uh, good pal Felix and a couple of other people we knew. We all played it on that player and it was such a good memory I had just to play it. And that was just last year. That record player doesn't work anymore and I had to get a new one, but <laughs> I still still have it. And it was the Target special edition too with the bonus tracks. So that's awesome. I'd like to listen to this on vinyl. That's it. That's oh, a great one. It's a great album for vinyl. I will say that right now. And uh, with that being said, I'm ready to get into it and uh, discuss every song on this uh, classic album, modern classic. Let's do it. So the album opens with Push Your Love Girl. This definitely has a bit of a uh, orchestral feel to it. I feel like it has a bit of a Bond theme, musically idea to it. Just with the orchestral elements, I really enjoy that. 
Billboard magazine called this a more seasoned version of Senorita all the way from the Justified album, which I never really thought of before. I feel like this is a, its own entity and Senorita's different production, that's pure Neptunes. This is pure Timbaland and his guys. But this definitely introduces us to this evolved uh, Justin Timberlake. This time we're not doing future sex love sounds. We're going to the past. We're going to throw it back to the 70s, which is the main uh, idea here. And it's got that classic idea. And in this case, the general theme is this girl is intoxicating and he's a junkie for your love. Yeah, this was not a single, actually, but everybody pretty quickly immediately loved it. It charted on the Hot 100 just because of strong sales initially, and it won Best R&B Song at the 2014 Grammys, which is good. I'm kind of really salty this album was not nominated for Album of the Year that year, actually. I think that's a bad call. Do you know what was that year? Well, our winner last week was... um. Random Access Memories was the winner. That's right. And I know we mentioned Red was a nominee, Good Kid, Mad City from Kendrick, Sarah Bareilles. I mean, some solid stuff in there, I guess. Oh, and Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, The Heist, that was definitely a big deal at this time, too. But it's still, I feel like they should have put this in there. Yeah. Yeah, It's a tough one not to, to put up with those. Yeah. Because it is definitely up there, definitely with the Daft Punk and T-Swizzle, I think, most definitely. But Yeah. And sonically, it has some similarities to Daft Punk, too. But, uh, yeah, what are your guys' thoughts on this one? Sammy? So, I was lucky enough to go on this tour. I actually saw this in concert. And to me, the horns, to start the song, completely set the tone for the entire album. And I loved how the visuals were in concert. He, all the lights went out and all you see is a silhouette of trumpeteers and you hear all the trumpets and the horns and it starts off and it's very smooth and it really sets the tone, I think. Yes, I actually went to this tour as well um, at the Baltimore Arena, which is now being completely changed up actually as we speak. It'll be reopened in a few months, but at the old one, I did go to this tour and this was a great opener for the 2020 experience tour as well, which was the arena. He went on two tours for this album. The first was um, with his pal Jay-Z. That was a summer stadium tour. I remember they went to Baltimore. I know people who went said it was amazing, but then he went on a separate arena tour that lasted over a year. And that was a huge success as well. And if you didn't see it, there's a documentary film on Netflix about it. Yeah, for me, here we go. Starting off the album with the orchestra swell. And it's a great place to be. Uh, Reminds me of the old intros or the overtures on a good musical uh, or or just any great music piece. Uh, And we are introduced to that soft synth and bass coming right off that. Um, this is a slow beat for the start of an album, in, in my opinion, but the way the pre-chorus hits so loud and heavy, it drives this beat faster than it really is. Uh, and then the refrain of You're My Little Pusher Love Girl just keeps it moving. I, I love the the tempo that we start this album at, uh, you know, and then at that five minute, we get that spoken word run over a remix, really, of the song. And it but this remix really gives us a good look musically at what we are in for 
uh, inside of the rest of the run of this album. I love this as an opener and I love it as a song. It's also the first uh, example of love in different forms. This one is drugs. Uh, and we'll do, in my opinion, we'll do two more forms throughout the album, but this is the, our first look at, at a, uh, an example of love as something else. Totally agree. I actually, funnily enough, I texted you both this the other day. I uh, went to the liquor store, one of the ones nearby, because I needed to get stuff because I was running low. And sure enough, this was the song that was playing when I walked in two days before we recorded this. I'm like, yes, I love when the universe is in sync with us like that. Yep. <laughs> Agreed. Set agree. up perfectly. <laughs> yes, it ha it's happened a few times to us. It's quite cool when it does. And we always tell each other. So... Heck yeah. Yes. So push your love, girl. An epic opener. I don't think any of its eight minutes are wasted. So no, and and in my opinion, not to get too far ahead, but that's the uh that's my opinion of the album. We're looking at seven minute average tracks, and I don't feel like there's much wasted on this album. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree on that. And I actually I was watching a couple reviews just to kind of prepare for this. And a lot of people were knocking it for being long, but I love Justin Timberlake's vibe on every song. And Timberland does a great job of producing it. And I, I don't think any of it's wasted as well. I agree. Yeah, I used to think some of it was a bit long, but as I've gotten older, I appreciate the artistry more because this came out when I was 16. So of course I wanted it shorter, but mm -hmm. fortunately over time i've appreciated it more but of course if the song was going to be on the radio like the next song it had to be shortened a bit so we didn't quite know how long this song was at first until we heard the album but track number two is the comeback lead single for justin timberlake suit and tie featuring jay-z and it features a sample of the 1972 song show enough by a group called sly slick and wicked i've never heard of them before but i love when we find these obscure samples to bed our track with yeah this is the nostalgia song for me i remember i love this as soon as i heard it because i felt like it's so retro and so new at the same time and Again, this was not like anything else on the radio at the time. A lot of stuff wasn't even as upbeat as this. And if it was upbeat, it was like a viral hit by this point in time, because we're in that era, for better or for worse at this point. But this was a true great pop R&B song. And it was a song everybody seemed to like. I remember everybody... Loved it when I was in high school and I was notorious for singing even back then. And I would go around singing it. And I had a, my favorite suit and tie memory is I, um if I haven't mentioned it before, I was a theater kid in high school. And uh, I was in a musical when this song came out. We did Annie Get Your Gun, a very old musical, but it was chosen that year. And I was backstage. And of course, you were supposed to be dead quiet backstage. But one of the upperclassmen I was a sophomore this was a senior so I wasn't always like best pals with them but she immediately came up to like Charlie Abby on my suit and tie because <laughs> <laughs> they were like we like you because you like suit and tie I was like okay that's great I love that <laughs> for me <laughs> yeah man this is this is that jam though I, I feel you there immediately when I heard this song I even have it in my notes. This is that Sinatra vibe for me. It was cool reading uh, during this on the critical take and seeing that 
I shared that with Justin Timberlake, you know, while he's writing this whole deal. That sonar sound bit that acts as the click track is amazing to me. I love how it's hidden in there. The horn blasts, they they speak on their own. And his flow through this is nothing but super smooth, you know, and it it, it doesn't even really do any different rhythmic takes it just stays smooth throughout this whole entire track and i love that even when he you know stops it stop let me get a good and, look at it exactly and it comes right back in it's still moving forward with that same smoothness hot tea take first listen back in the day i thought the jay-z piece on this really took me out of the whole entire song but now I read about it. And of course, like you said, we 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 take different views on it and, and its musicality. But the original deal, get out of your seat, Hove, was because Jay-Z jumped up out of his seat and said it to himself and Justin Timberlake laughed. But Justin Timberlake went on to say that it was more of a Rat Pack vibe in his head. And he, inside of the song, was like, oh, Jay-Z's in the house. Let's have him come up and do one. And, you know, he's like, come on, get out of your seat, Hope. And I love that. I just, I love this song and the way that it screams that even if you don't know the the uh, the story behind. So this is always one of my top tracks. It's it's my get ready in Atlantic City. It sits right in there with any Frankie or Dean track. And uh, it's a stellar top Justin Timberlake for me. I, I agree. And uh, I actually love Jay-Z's part. I think it's re real smooth how he comes in. The beat drops for him, and it's perfect. It kind of changes up the vibe a little bit. Um, I also love, I wanted to mention the the video, because I, yes. think, I think everything that you see in your head listening to the song, you think of like a black tie event, and that's exactly what the song, or, or what the video is. And on top of that, they even make it look more vintage, because it's all black and white. Yes, and I actually also... If you don't know, I love when we subvert the norms because it's a throwback to a time when uh, in the video, this black and white, black tie jazz club is really what they're going for. And sadly, segregation was still very prominent in many parts of the U.S. But here, JT has black musicians on stage with him. We see Jay-Z clearly. And so I kind of like that we're taking an old trope and turning it on its head uh, by rewriting it the way it should have been the whole time. And uh, speaking of Jay-Z's verse, I was not that familiar with Jay-Z. I really only knew like two of the most recent hits of his by this point in time, like Empire State of Mind, of course, everybody knew that. I always thought that line was get out your seat, ho, not ho. <laughs> I heard that. I did too, Charlie. I did too. Get out your seat, ho. <laughs> I, I always thought it, it makes sense, too. I was uh, like, oh, it's Hove? I mean, now that I know a bit more about Jay-Z, that makes a lot more sense. But I always, the other funny part I was reminded of, the when he says, stop, let me get a good look at, and the line's so thick now, I know why they call it a fatty. And one of my classmates in high school said her mother was appalled by that line because she said, he's talking about his penis. And I thought... <laughs> I think he's talking about a girl's butt. Yeah. <laughs> which he was. He was not talking about his penis, but. <laughs> hey, you know, that's the beauty of the music, as we always say. You get to take it however you want it. Hey, Charlie, don't feel too bad because I thought it was get out your seat, ho, all the way until Corey just said it wasn't. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. yes! I, oh. I didn't know until right now. That's so great. Yeah, man. 
Yeah, it's so cool that it just came out of them. He, Justin Timberlake went on to say he put it in there almost as a joke because he laughed so hard because, I mean, picture standing next to Jay-Z working on lyrics and then he hits one so hard that he stands up. I do it all the time. You guys know, I'll be like, all right, Cross, that's where it's at. So Jay-Z just stand up and be like, get out your seat, over, all right? And then Justin Timberlake laughing at that and taking that forward. I love that. Many other people love the song too, of course. It charted at number three on the Hot 100. Um, it was number one in my heart. If I rewrite chart history, this was number one for five weeks instead of the Harlem Shake. <laughs> but <laughs> 20, 2013 was so crazy at the top of that chart, man. It was cutthroat up there. It really was. The fact that neither of the two hit singles made it the number one off of here is insane to think about, but... That I mean, is what happened. It, yeah, even last week when we were talking about Get Lucky and how it, it only stayed at number two, as much saturation as it had, same deal with Suit and Tie. As much saturation as Suit and Tie had, you're telling me it never hit number one. That's mind-blowing. Same for the next single on the album, too, because that was saturation at the same point as Get Lucky and Blurred Lines. It was really a cutthroat time for pop music in 2013. Oh, yeah. But we are not at that next hit yet. We're not even close to it, actually. But we are on to another banger, at least. Don't Hold the Wall. This is one of the very Michael Jackson tracks here, in my opinion. It has a lot of elements of tribal music, including chants. And it's got another really sticky hook. And it goes into the drum and bass in the second half. And I think it's, again, really cool how we brought back a sound that had been it's never been a really prominent sound in popular music. That's a deeper dance house sound, but it was kind of brought back here into the mainstream for this song because I don't think it was very prominent for a mainstream pop artist such as JT to be doing that. This is a pure club song. When it comes to the length of the songs, I think something that people don't think about is so back in the 70s during the disco era and the days of clubs like Studio 54, the hits that you heard on the radio were the edited versions. Songs went on and on. Like it was a lot of songs went on for seven, eight minutes in the clubs. The 12 inch single edits were made for that. And it's just to kind of keep the groove going. And that's really what he was going for. I think specifically on this song so I don't, I feel like this is the kind of song that's perfect for a DJ set. It's designed to keep you moving for a while. That's what they were going for. And uh, I did at first think it was too long, but now I don't because I know what they were going for. I really think I've gotten it. And I feel like it's the most, uh, it's not just 70s disco. We also go into that 90s house vibe with the drum and bass. We've got two different things going on at once. And so... This is a pure club song, and I think it's a fantastic one. Yeah, this is, uh, I texted the two of you the other day, and I said how much I was kind of re-falling in love with this album. This was the first song that I, that it kind of really, I changed my mind about, because I remember listening to this a decade ago, whenever it came out, 2013, and I, I didn't care for this song at all. I, I skipped it most of the time, and listening to it now, I kind of have a little bit more respect for the production this is this song to me belongs to Timberland I mean Justin Timberlake did his thing on it obviously but Timberland really did his thing and uh and yeah I mean this is this is one of those songs that is very Michael Jackson-esque the breakdown I can see 
in a in a MJ video, the choreograph, like kind of like um the way you make me feel at the end of that. So yeah, I mean this is this is a song that I I really kind of raised my eyebrows to and I was like, oh, you know what? I kind of wrote this song off too too soon. Yeah, I, I can feel you there. Um early I first listen, it was where I understood that this was going to be an experimental take or a very artistic take as far as an album goes, as far as a pop album goes, and also as far as my expectations for what this album was going to be went. I love both of you guys' points. The, the length of this is super reminiscent of a club feel where you're going to keep it going, or even so in early hip-hop where you would have longer tracks to give a freestyle uh, sense to the listener or to anybody you know that wanted to keep the beat going I love those lengths uh, this one for me is evolution literally in a song um, we're starting off with these tribal beats rain sticks cricket noises and a very bare vocal um, and we ride that through to about 250 in the song where a light synth starts to feature clap heavy beat uh, and we get almost like a Bollywood vibe in the in the middle of this and a really super driven form of dance. Don't hold the wall. And, and we're still like you said, Charlie, we're still dancing. Um, and then finally, and I'm so glad you touched on this at the four minutes, we get this final evolution onto a full on drum and bass loop that just continues through the rest of the song. Um, I have in my notes no wasted time again, because the length of the song um, could lend itself to wasted pieces but in fact it's produced so beautifully like you said sam uh timberland piece all the way through and we really get an evolution inside of this one glad we're all fans of don't hold the wall i feel like it's an underrated song here it's kind of hard because so many songs here i think just have these killers on it and this is one that can fly under the radar a bit but i think with this appreciation uh, and re-listen, we found a new enjoyment for this song. I think we could all agree with, even if we liked it okay before, it stood out a bit more because we were more familiar with the rest of the highlights, perhaps, I guess you could say. Yeah. And uh, another track that stood out to a lot of people was uh, the fourth track, Strawberry Bubblegum. I mentioned Barry White earlier, and this is the Barry White song. It's uh, yeah, it has that kind of, this song doesn't sample him, but another song on the next part does, but the deep voice on it's definitely going for that vibe. And I definitely, again, feel like he was thinking of how they made albums back in the 70s when he was doing this. That's the main thing. He's definitely thinking of those uh, classic soul artists from them. You're Barry White, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, all of that is all over this. Uh, I really enjoy the production here. I think it's got a lot of great strings and electronic blips. Around the five-minute mark, it goes into a more traditional sound. And uh, if any song on the album is too long, I think it's this one. Because I think that the first part is so unique and cool. And the second part kind of is a bit of a letdown for me. This one's never been one of my top favorites. And I do think that the lyrics do get to redundant i feel like this could have been cut off at the five minute mark but that's just me yeah i uh i can agree with that it's it gets a little bit i, I do enjoy like the sashaying sound that the breakdown brings and this is another song that was uh sampled by an old school 
R&B artist, Bohannon, uh, the, the violins to start the song. It's called I Wonder Why. I'd okay. never heard of it, but I thought Neither that was interesting. I. I like this song. And I, earlier I said that I feel like he kind of is reminiscing of his own wedding on this. And people have theorized that Strawberry Bubblegum is referring to Jessica Biel in her wedding dress, which was a light pink dress. So I thought that was interesting as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this this is one of my favorite songs on both versions of the album. And I, I enjoy the uh, mellow day that he starts it with. And it kind of is describing the actual physical calm that he feels when he sees her. And it's comparing her to the melody of a song. Little double entendre action. I like that as well. That's the shit I never knew. I never even thought to connect or knew that her dress was was that color. Now, I don't, I don't know if that's true, but okay. people kind of theorize that's what the song is about. The beauty of music, as we say. <laughs> yeah. Know? This, for me, I'm a sucker for those, uh, those tracks with a good radio intro. Uh, and I love that this radio intro with that Barry White-esque voice that you were talking about, Charlie, it doesn't really just drop us onto the song. It sort of warps out in this dreamlike sense until we get that mellow, mellow, mellow coming from Timberlake. And, and it starts us off into this super bouncy melody that I love. The production on this is cool. And I'm going to have to disagree with you guys on the end of it, but only in a production-minded sense or a musical sense, but more so a production-minded sense because the rhythm is super hidden in the early part of this song. And I like that. And we don't really get it until we fall into that bossa nova beat at five minutes. Uh, and we, we dance our way out of the song, but as in this happy vibe. But I really think that that was a vehicle to smack us in the face as we go into the next track. And we'll touch more when we talk about the next track, but we're really on this, this created happiness at the end of the song that came out of nowhere. It almost doesn't feel at place in the song unless you look at it from a production standpoint so that's really the only way i disagree on the length of this i don't think it was wasted or weak but i do think it was such a super contrast that sometimes it might feel like it doesn't fit if that makes sense <laughs> i am glad that you mentioned the uh connection to the next song because there was a great transition between the two they pretty seamlessly transitioned into each other and uh, the next one I do like more than this one, Tunnel Vision, which is um, the most contemporary song on the album. I feel like that's the most of its time here. And uh, it's really chaotic production-wise, but it's perfect for what we're talking about because uh, this is about just that pure infatuation you can have with just one person. And it's just like, I have eyes for only you. And... Uh, this one, I mean, I can go a long time without hearing this song and it will pop into my head because yeah. it's just so fucking catchy. It is one of those songs that's always just in the back of my brain. And uh, yeah, this has always been one of my favorites on the album. And I think this might be the best example of the Timbaland uh, production on here because to uh, get that chaotic sound and make it sound cohesive, that's a gift. Not everybody can do it. I have said several times on this podcast before, like, I feel like this production's too cluttered or chaotic. It's not the case here, even though it easily could have been. And uh, Timbaland is the man. That's really <laughs> the main point I have for this song. So a great one, though. Yeah, I, I had that in my notes as well. I mean, when you get Justin Timberlake and Timbaland together, I feel like this is what you get. It, it was classic Timbaland and JT. 
I didn't have a lot of notes on this song. I just I really enjoyed listening to listening to it. And I also realized that at the end of the song, that was pretty cool. The, as the song ends, one instrument at a time cuts out. And I think it's supposed to symbolize him only seeing her and nothing else in his peripherals matter. It's all tunnel vision to her. And then eventually the last instrument drops out and the next song starts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, I mean, you talk about production. I got production in caps in my notes, Charlie. I love that you said it. And Sammy said it earlier on another song, but when we're going to go through a bunch of these, but for me, my first line in my notes is super smack in the face with this ultra Timbaland beat. And it really is. I, I'm, I've been a fan of Timbaland since chick all the way going back to like missy elliott early days his style is his style you can always tell it's his and i love the way he does it the chaoticness of this musicality in the early part of the song is so crazy because for me justin timberlake's vocals almost flute like a cloud or over top of this chaotic beat and only in the refrain do we really ever see these guys or these two pieces start to symbiotically live and actually in a callback and forth you know from the beat you know i got that ton of vision and so that they merge and we really see it at the four minutes when like it just comes together full on and you get this wild timberland beatbox timberlake vocal strings trip uh all the way to where sam was saying you know we drop off one by one into uh the end of this tunnel vision such a such a beautifully produced a geniusly produced track one of my favorites one of my favorites yes and it was a favorite for a lot of people so this was one of the ones that charted on bubbling under for hot 100 because a lot of people bought it and heralded it as a highlight of the album this is actually the third single, but it's kind of a, a moot point for it to be one because there was an issue, and we'll talk about it more in part two. In 2013, there were a lot of Justin Timberlake songs out at once, and uh, because in addition to the singles from this album, there was also another song he did with JT, uh, I mean Jay-Z, Holy Grail, and so uh, JT was pretty inescapable at this time, and um when it came to the radio, it was still a more prominent force in determining which songs were hits at this point in time. And uh, an artist can apparently only have so many songs on the radio at once. We've seen that before here. So that was a bit of an issue here. But there was a video for this song, and it was uh, uh, pretty controversial, actually, because it does feature uh, a lot of top, uh, well, nude women. You don't see it all full frontal, but you see their boobs. Uh, and... Uh, the idea, of course, it is artistic. It's to kind of show that male gaze is the idea. It's very voyeuristic is the vibe they're going for. And admittedly, that's creepy, but it does fit with the song very well. I got a question for you, and that's, did this top the bubbling under? Did it at least get up there? It made it to 10, and there wow. are 25 songs on it. Wow, hmm. it's a mid-chart. <laughs> that's, that's wild. It's such a powerful beast. Yeah, it just gets lost in the mix. You're right. Only only Taylor Swift can do the top uh, yeah. 10 songs, you know, <laughs> all hers. So. Well, that's because of streaming. <laughs> now only, she's still at the top of the charts, though. Drake is now like, uh, has eight of the top 10 spots now oh, with wow. his new album. But okay. that's so wild. <laughs> that's because of streaming, though. You just have to yeah. click now. It's very, 
different, but T Swizzle's still at the top for now with a anti-hero. So because you know, sometimes we all feel like a sexy baby, I guess. Amen. <laughs> well, everybody's the sexy baby, and she's the monster on the hill, but well, she's the monster that collapsed Ticketmaster. So yes, she is. her power. Oh man. Yeah. Fuck all the people. I saw a great post. They fuck all the people saying some people are saying I wouldn't watch her in the bet perform in the bathroom. I saw that. Oh, is that why she tweeted that? I saw that picture of her sitting in the bathtub. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if that's why she tweeted it. I went right by it the other day, but, it but was, she was fully clothed just sitting in the bathtub. Like, probably. <laughs> I think and then, lying anyway. Yeah. But then another person, there was supposed to say, hating Taylor Swift isn't the flex you think it is. I thought, yes, thank you. Good. But we'll discuss Taylor uh, later in the year. We'll be discussing Midnight's. I already told you that. Course. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. I got you. <laughs> We're there. But this isn't the Taylor Swift podcast, even though I could go on and on and on. But I can go on and on about this, too. So we're on to track number six. uh, One of my favorites, Spaceship Coop. Yeah, this is, I think, the most uh, romantic song on the album. And uh, we're going into outer space for this one, which I always love when songs go to outer space. That's been a uh, theme for me on this podcast. I like the sci-fi shit, I guess you could say. But yeah, it sounds like a pretty cool vehicle, his spaceship coupe. I have to say that. Uh, This song is over seven minutes, but none of it's wasted. It's just this kind of otherworldly classic soul thing. Uh, Very uh, Marvin Gaye, I think, is the main influence here. But Or even Prince with International Lover, your favorite song. You took the the thought right out of my head. I mean, we even get a sex scene at the end of this in, in... in a little bit of the beat, you know what I'm saying? We 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 get uh, yeah. some some sexual screaming. I mean, you start this song off with a square wave bass that automatically makes me feel like I'm in a low rider coupe, you know, like well, let's get this done. Uh, and then we're off. I love this song. The musicality speaks on its own. Literally in my uh, notes, I have gangster pimp vibes all the way to the moon. <laughs> I mean, literally, <laughs> that's what this song is. I missed my three examples of love. I, I told you guys the first one. The second one was candy uh, and strawberry bubblegum. But this third one is space. And, and this is it. You know, we're going off to the moon, me and you. There's only room for two in this spaceship coupe. And this is this is that song always has been for me a good one. Yeah, this uh, I think everybody gets a little bit of visuals when you hear a song. If I close my eyes and listen to this song, I can see drive, riding in space. With the little bubble on top of the car, like like the Jetsons or something, I can see it. Yeah, this definitely gives me the most visuals, and uh, I also feel like the guitar solo in the middle of this. Yes, it makes it unique to the rest of the album, and it's it's beautifully done. That's pure Prince right there. I was I gonna. Think. Yeah, That's was, the Prince part, absolutely. Yeah, but it, it immediately was Prince. Oh <laughs> uh, yes, but uh, yeah, I have to say, why didn't they do an animated video for this song? That was a huge missed opportunity, I think. I agree. There would have been knocking animated knocking boots in it. It would have been a controversial beast. <laughs> yes, I think this should uh, be on like all the sci-fi movie soundtracks. Maybe put this in the next Avatar, James Cameron. <laughs> but uh, I, I was thinking about the ending. I thought, well... You're probably even more likely to make those noises if you don't have any gravity. 
<laughs> that was that was my thought on that. <laughs> I love it. I love how Timberland popped that into the beat too. It's not just like what we're used to on the old like you you hear the full on thing. He took a little snippet of an orgasmic gasp yell, whatever you want to call it, and really popped it in there on the end, which was cool. Yeah, it's not quite as intense as like "Love to Love You, Baby," but it's there. <laughs> no, no, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, Oh, spaceship coop, we love ya. Yeah, man. But uh, we can't quite stay that steamy, so we have to move on to track number seven, That Girl. Not a Stevie Wonder cover, but that's a great Stevie Wonder song. I just wanted to say that. But this is, uh, for me, the most retro song on the album. This has, like, a very um, Muscle Shoals late 60s feel to it. Like, I could hear these really give me the vibe of the people who played with, like, Aretha Franklin on her classic recordings, the Wilson Pickett, that kind of sound. So, um, yeah, I absolutely love that sound. It's a classic uh, sound that's quite timeless. It just doesn't get old. And uh, just a great groove that really gives the Tennessee kids, JT's band, that chance to show off because um, he's very proud of that musical heritage of his being from Tennessee. And you hear the Memphis sound all over this, which I love. And uh, this song uh, samples a song called Self-Destruct by King Sporty. This is the shortest song on the album, but this has always been one of my favorites. I just love that great vibe for it. Um, I would have made this a single if there was no part two, because it's kind of made for being the shortest on the album. And I was quite disappointed he did not do this on the 2020 experience tour i actually wanted him to do spaceship coop too but he didn't do either of them and but this was the number one song i thought this would have killed it live i are agree you, are you joking me he didn't not, do either of those songs neither no. one of them get the f- that's crazy i was talk. waiting the whole time to hear it too man i that this so this hands down is my not only my favorite song on this album but one of my favorite songs period the intro gives me chills. I could listen to this song 20 times in a row. I would get chills at the intro every single time. Uh, and this is the song I mentioned earlier. reminds me of uh, Corey's wedding here. Everybody was on the dance floor. Everybody was with their partner. And it was just a beautiful scene. And this is another song that gives me a lot of visuals. I can see myself in like a basement bar in a speakeasy smoking cigarettes. And then the band gets up there and it's just like, and they just blow the roof off the place. Definitely my favorite song on this album, hands down. I feel like a, a video for this would have been like the sequel to Suit and Tie. Basically, <laughs> like maybe we go yeah, from black seriously. and white to color. So I'm not like all the way up on the videos. And I got a little nervous when I heard you guys talking about this because in my notes, this gives me a whole story, right? So like this, I, I'll start off. This is me and my wife's love song. Love it. I mean, this is so much, so much on top of this as far as that. I'll go, uh, we've already touched on the, the musicality and the beauty of this song and, and, and how powerful it is. And I'll do away with the note of can't believe it isn't a single because we touched on that as well. But as far as it as a story, I always picture this like, just like you said, Sam, like this speakeasy or like this Bible Belt little dark bar. And here comes this meek act. And we 
are blown away right away by the vocals of this this meek little guy on the stage. I really think that this was a thought inside of the production because as you listen to this song, it grows and it grows and there's backing vocals and and there's a beat that comes across and and it gets to this full uh, sound that for me is the confidence of this band, JT and the Tennessee Kids, that grows throughout. Uh, this performance. I love this. This is the shortest song. Again, I'll touch not a single, but it's crazy because this is the palate cleanser for me of the album, but it's such an all, like it's, it might be the best palate cleanser on, on any album that we've reviewed as far as like its ability to carry itself. It's not that filler palate cleanser, but it's a nice deep breath of fresh air before we go back into admittedly a darker sort of beat uh, throughout this album. I love this song. Well, we're not at the darker beat uh, quite yet. I don't quite think yet. with the yeah. next song, but this is kind of a warm up for this one because this is a party jam. Let the groove get in. This is that, um, yeah, if any song here would have fit on Michael Jackson's Off the Wall, it's this one, obviously. You already um, know. Uh, yeah, I remember hearing this on Pandora back in the day, and it just changed my life. It's like, I just needed that burst of energy in my life. Uh, and it was so beautiful. Um, yeah, this is another one. I am quite sure this would have been a single if they didn't do part two, because this is hit all over it. It's written all over it. Just what a banger of a song. And this was actually the best performance of the tour because he got up on a moving walkway and it would move throughout the venue. And so uh, in that case, I got, that was the chance that I got the closest look at him through the show because I didn't have floor seats. I was 17, of course. So I did not have floor seats, but it was a chance for a lot of people to see it more up close and it was for him to move to the um, smaller stage in the venue. But just such a fun, upbeat song that I never get sick of, and I don't want it to end when it's done. And that says something because it's over seven minutes long. It's awesome that we were at the same concert because I had these concert stories, and I have somebody here that can kind of verify them and just talk about how awesome it was because I literally wrote down this was the most fun song at the concert. And uh, obviously, I also have Michael Jackson vibes. I said specifically, it reminds me of Want to Be Starting Something, which is Thriller, not Off the Wall, but... It, it reminds me a lot of that. And I also love like the Spanish horn and percussion, the banda sound. Um, this this song is just fun. It's just fun to listen to, fun to jam out to. Yeah, this this one, first listen, again, we go back to that old story. We were down in Florida doing our thing. This had a Miami sound machine sort of feel to it oh. uh, as well, mm -hmm. where, you know, we were just jamming to this song over and over and over again. For this song to be built on sample field recordings from inside of Africa in the 1970s and then move to completely realizing itself, in my opinion, again, as really the true Michael Jackson. And we, I know we just touched on that a bunch, uh, but building to the full realization with the horns and the beats throughout. This for me is is a, a dance masterpiece. This is one that could keep going. Just like you said, Charlie, at the end of this one, it could go on for another seven minutes for me and I'd still be there doing a, a nice samba, you know, getting down and having a blast with this one. This is this is one of my favorites on the album. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the African uh, beats in the song because that makes the wannabe certain something comparison make all the sense in the world because that samples an African song, Soul Makasa, one of the most sampled songs in history. 
Yeah, this is the um party before the sadness, I think we could say. Yeah. It's okay. So the second to last track on the album is Mirrors. And uh, so this one is the song that actually does date back to Shock Value 2. He wrote the first part of it in 2009 during sessions for that album, but he decided, no, I need to keep this for myself because he thought... Like, when I do return, whenever it will be, we I think we need this, which was a very smart move. Uh, it, the second half was produced during the sessions for the album. And uh, interestingly, of course, this is an eight-minute song. Only the first part was played on the radio because it's crazy, though. That's a song in and of itself. But to have that expansion does actually take it to another level, in my opinion. But... He wrote this song for his wife, uh, Jessica Bio, at the time they were just seeing each other. And it was also, he was inspired by his grandparents uh, and their love story, which is uh, mirrored in, pun intended, in the video. (laughs) Because we see this old couple kind of looking back on their past and you see them in the funhouse and then we go in the funhouse with JT. And it's a very cool video, and it has over a billion views on YouTube now, so yay. Back to the song. Yeah, this one uh, was always a favorite of mine. It was played a lot. It was very popular, but I never got sick of hearing it, and uh, this one also, everywhere you would have thought it was a number one hit, it was number two behind Macklemore and Ryan Lewis's Can't Hold Us. I think that's a good song too, but it's not as good as Mirrors. And there was just, yeah, it was cutthroat at this point in time, but it was number six for the year. So it didn't go anywhere. And uh, admittedly, this song I think was so huge and uh, where I think it kind of hurt momentum for the singles on the second part because uh, you couldn't get a new single out when the previous one was still on all the time. Because it was still going strong a year later, because this was the encore for the tour, and this was the song that got the biggest reaction out of everybody. Everybody was hyped to hear this, singing along to the whole thing. I mean, I've never gotten sick of it. I think it's just as impactful at each listen as the first time I heard it. And uh, my story of Mears is... When he did his solo halftime show in 2018, I just put out on Twitter, I don't have Twitter anymore, but at the time I did, and I just wrote, I love Mirrors because it's such a good song. And somebody was like, what did you mean you love Mirrors? I meant the song. They were like, oh. It's like, yeah. I just love looking at Mirrors, just like Corey (laughs) Cross here. I do love looking at Mirrors. Um, I had, um, so I did not know this until I did a little research onto it, but uh, Justin actually samples himself on this. He samples, uh, there's a moaning voice, very faint in the background from Crimea River. So I thought that was pretty cool. So this album, you said, what, seven years since his last album? Yes. I think that you can really see the maturity and uh, he's kind of like a complete man now because he's found his wife. He's in his 30s at this point. And uh, he actually says the words, the other half of me. I feel like this is the song to kind of say, I am now whole. I am now complete. And um, I love the breakdown again when the music stops and it's just the bass and the claps. But yeah, I mean, other than that, I mean, you can't say too much about it. It's it's just a fantastically done song. As a self-proclaimed lover of looking in mirrors, <laughs> I'm going to be in the, uh, in the other half on this one. Mirrors for me. And it's crazy that you gave me the background on this charlie because i didn't find it as i was looking for it you know going through notes on this one but this 
always, ever since first listen, always just sounded like an old school Timberlake song that didn't really fit on this album. And even in my critical notes, five minutes is where the song for me becomes enjoyable inside of this album um, and makes sense inside of this album. I felt like it was very out of place. Now knowing that it's from two different recording periods of his life, for Christ's sake, uh, I can see where that is inside of this. But for me, it just like the, the radio edit up to that first five minutes of this just seems so far in the past for him. And it just doesn't feel quite at home on this album, in my opinion. I can see what you're saying, actually, to an extent. And uh, Sam, I think it's interesting that you mentioned that this is the whole man, because I do agree about the maturity, because this is definitely more mature than Cry Me a River, which is a great song, but it's petty as fuck, of course. (laughs) But, you know, he was jilted. So, yeah, I didn't quite think of it as that. But I mean, to me, I think the song works really well. But I do see where you're coming from with that, Corey. It was just the only place that I really got taken out of the album for a little bit. And uh, I can understand why. I can understand why now. And it was, I guess, important for him to put it on the album there. But just just on the opinion side, it just didn't fit all the way for me. Damn it, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, but as we said, this is now the darker part of the album. And now we're on to the darkest and slowest song to close out the standard edition blue ocean floor um yeah this one is uh, quite slow um oh boy so this is the definitely my least favorite song on the album this to me um the words are pretty but i don't think the song really goes anywhere musically it's always been kind of elevator music-ish to me i hate to say that but that's the vibe i've um always thought of it So uh, the most interesting thing to me about this song is that upon release, some people thought it was about Britney Spears, and I didn't quite get that, but she actually once danced to this on Instagram, because she posts a lot of dancing videos on Instagram, and this was a song she chose to dance to, and um, JT actually called this his Romeo and Juliet song, which I think is interesting, I'll say that, and... uh, that definitely kind of hints at it being about Britney, I think, because they were teenage lovers. Jessica Beale was an adult relationship for him. Um, but that might be why I don't like it, because like, maybe it's just too melodramatic. I never was big on Romeo and Juliet. I don't, I understand your families hated each other, but there's no need for the uh, killing each killing yourselves for it. Just my opinion, but. <laughs> oh, the, the lost love uh, or not so much the lost love, but the uh, the losing of love, uh, the star-crossed love is what I was looking for. is is definitely prominent in this. Uh, Sam, you got you got notes on this one? So I do, and and I hundred percent get where you're coming from, Charlie. It is quite the one eighty for from the whole rest of the album. But I thought, um, I thought this was a beautiful way to. I compared it earlier to uh, a wedding night. And this could be a perfect playlist for a wedding. This song is the end of the night. This song is the lovers leaving, making their kind of secret getaway. And um, to Corey's point earlier, you said that there was uh, three examples of love that you found. I thought that this one was kind of 
could be the fourth comparing it to the ocean because he's saying that not even something as unknown and dangerous as the ocean floor can keep them separated so that could be like a fourth example i thought it was oh. a perfect way to uh to end the the original before, before he came out with the deluxe album i thought it was the perfect way to end an album yeah well, I, I guess that also the ocean that actually i can't help that makes me think of uh I guess if it's Romeo and Juliet and the ocean, this is the Titanic song, I guess, then. Well, <laughs> hold that thought, because I have to agree with Sam on a beautiful ending to the album. Um, but in the same right of the Titanic thought, for me, we see the orchestra that brought us into this album featured on the way out of this song, but in a sense where their sound is has a drowning effect added to it. So it did have that Titanic sort of feel to the, the ending with the, with the orchestra going down with the lovers uh, to the bottom. It was, for me, I think it ended the album off musically correctly. Um, I didn't necessarily understand where the, this was such a triumphant album for love. It was, it was almost out of nowhere that we saw this this loss of love or this I'll find you no matter what at the bottom of the ocean. I guess I took it as more of a macabre take on love than an actual triumph of love. But I really do. I like your point, Sam, of, you know, the love going through no matter what uh, to the bottom of the ocean. Cool way to think about it. Long story short, though, this is the end of the album when I first listened to it. And I always thought it, it stuck the landing as far as this went. I do think it's a good album ender. I just, uh, as an individual song, it doesn't do it for me, if that makes sense. Total sense. Makes That's total sense. kind of just uh, where I'm coming from with that, I guess. But I've also never seen Titanic and don't plan on it, so. <laughs> well, now you, you have spoilers. You don't even know. <laughs> I, I, I already, We all know how it ends. I mean, come on. <laughs> but... As we said, there was a deluxe edition, and it was exclusively um, through Target. They do it still to this day. They will have exclusive uh, tracks on Target CDs and vinyl releases. I mean, Midnight's has a exclusive Target track on it that's actually quite awesome, but doesn't really fit with the rest of the album. That's why it's a bonus track. So the first of the two bonus tracks here is called Dress On, and uh, the song was produced by Rob Knox, who had worked with JT before he did the TI-JT collaboration Dead and Gone, which was a big hit in 2009. This one has a decent hook. I feel like it's a mid-tempo track, and... Uh, just again, that night out thing, we can we can do it while you got your dress on. Um, Timbaland's got a rap verse on it. Uh, I can see why this is a bonus track. It's definitely kind of basic in comparison to the other 10 songs on the album, which really take us to different places. This is definitely like, again, it sounds like a callback to that earlier time, which makes sense considering the production um, was from the guy who did a 2009 hit. So... All right, well, here it is. I couldn't come on here without having a hot tea take. Oh. Uh, you don't need this song or the next one that we're going to talk to. I think that this I think that this album was perfect with the 10 that, that they had. Uh, this song, it's not that I dislike either one of them. This song was good. Uh, and I did say that I believe it's the only song that wasn't produced by Timbaland. It was Rob Knox. Um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't need it for me. 
Yeah, and this is in my notes a B side suit and tie. This is the poor man's suit yes. and tie, <laughs> and it's nowhere near as successful. Um, it's a cool little jam. It's an extra track because this is cutting room floor stuff, in my opinion, as far as the musicality and production value that we've seen throughout this album so far. So yeah, B-side suit and tie, that's that's dress on for me. All right. And uh, actually, Rob Knox did the other bonus track too, Body Count, but oh, okay. it has a Timbaland-esque sound to it. It sounds like it could be a Timbaland song. Um, oh. I love the title of the song i feel like this could be a murder ballad based on just the title but that's not what it is it definitely sounds more a future sex than 2020 um yeah, it's not about murder it's about sex he wants her to make his body count so nice little double entendre there um I think this is a decent dance song i didn't need it on part one but i actually think it would have been good for part two yeah I could see that. It's crazy because I thought this was one of the weakest Timberland beats I'd ever heard. And now to realize that it was more of an inspired by him rather than his beat, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, this is another B-side for me. Uh, the, the beat was almost a corny Timberland beat is what I have in my notes. Um, but I love, in a dirty dog sense of the way, the double entendre of body count. Like, make my body count. And also sign, I think it's like the lyrics are like, sign up, put your name on the list and make my body count, which you said a murder count, but we ain't talking about the same body count here. <laughs> We're talking about a play on a numbers game of some dirty dogs. Got to add to a list. Yeah, so I, in a, in a very uh, guilty pleasure-esque type way, enjoy the double entendre. I, I chuckled through this song. Is it because you have a high body count, Corey? That is, that is, that is not the case. I, I didn't enjoy, think so. I just enjoy double entendres. <laughs> this is definitely one of those. <laughs> Hope Jess doesn't listen to this one. Heard. <laughs> so my hot tea take aside, uh, like I said, I don't dislike these two songs. And, and I did like this one. And I thought that it was kind of a, an appropriate alternate ending. Instead of the, the somber, loving outro of Blue Ocean Floor, you had a more fun dance outro with similar percussion, kind of, to uh, let the groove get in. So, it, it, again, I, I don't need it personally uh, on, the, on volume one. I agree with what you said, that it would be great on volume two. But with that being said, as, as far as an alternate ending goes, I liked it. All right. Well, there we have it, folks. The 2020 experience part one. We knew early on there would be a part two. He announced that very early on that there would be. So um, with that being said, gentlemen, I'll let you both go first. What is your grade for the album? So I knew that you guys did great and I tried to I tried to not be biased on this because I'm just saying A plus, A plus, but in reality, even compared to other albums that came out that year, uh, and, and as far as albums in general go, I, I give this an A minus. There you go. I'm coming in at, at a steady A. Uh, it almost made A plus, and it's it's a really great album. It's a fully realized and produced album front to back, and you can never take away from the fact that even going in when he was saying. Uh, or he's been quoted saying like, you know, Queen could do 10 minute tracks. Led Zeppelin could do 10 minute tracks. Why can't I never take away that the average on this album, on this 
air quotes pop album is a seven minute average and really no wasted time that's a feat in and of itself and worthy of an a for me yeah i'm going to go with the a minus i was very close to a but i just uh did just not quite a hundred percent for me but definitely a classic definitely one of the best of this year for sure for me and uh a very worthy album that still holds up and I would say probably his best album, This or Future Sex, one of the two could be it, but I'm leaning towards this one. You hate Man in the Woods, but that's a different podcast. <laughs> mm, okay. Uh, what is your favorite track on the album? What do you got, Sammy? Oh, that girl. You, you said it earlier, you did say that. Yeah, yes. I didn't know that was going to be a question at the end, but I, I mean that, again, every time chills with that song. What do you got, Charlie? Mirrors. I know that's the obvious answer, but I really do um, love that song a lot. I always have. And uh, it was really the main song, I think, that really got me to seek out the whole album because I couldn't get enough of it. Heard that. I got to go tunnel vision on this. It's a production masterpiece. And uh, for me, it's truly a feat of musicianship all the way around the track. It is, is one of those ones that you could go back and listen to or I go back and listen to over and over again and find little things um, that I didn't see before. So kudos to to Tunnel Vision on that one. All righty, yes. And uh, well, with that being said, you'll need your Tunnel Vision for part two. Well, you don't really, but I just wanted to say that. Uh, (laughs) We'll need it for part two because we'll be doing that next time. We'll be discussing uh, the 2020 Experience 2 of 2, which came out a few months after this one. This came out in March of 2013. And uh, yeah, definitely a fun episode to do. Thank you, Sam, for joining us once again. Thank yeah, you man. for having me. Yeah, but thank you. I we'll see you that on you part will... two. <laughs> yes, you'll be here for part two. Thank goodness. So we are happy for that. In the meantime, just follow us wherever you're listening to us and on social media at Turntables and Tea Podcast and say nice things about us and leave us nice reviews. Thank you. Peace. Thank you.